0: This is Truth With Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierre Rosa is continuing his preaching from the Gospel of Matthew, and today we're in chapter 24. We've been learning from Jesus what will happen in the last days. It's not a pretty picture. After the rapture, there will be a time of temporary worldwide peace, but it will be followed by horrible persecution and judgment on the earth. Yet in all this, we find comfort and hope. God's faithfulness remains true and constant, and His compassion remains on display even when it's accompanied by His holy judgment. So no matter what we're going through, we can rely on God's promises and know that we have the hope of future glory with Him. My name is Brian Schmidt and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. But for now, let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre.
1: Now I want to read to you verses 29 through 35 of Matthew 24 and follow along with me if you have your Bibles with you. Here's what Jesus says. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other, Now learn the parable of the fig tree, when its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. A lot to unpack here, church, and let's do that together now, one sentence at a time here. So in this text here, verses 29 through 35, we're going to look at the prophecy and the parable of the day of the Lord. We're talking about the culmination of history, the very last day. So there is a prophecy to be understood here, a parable, and next week, we will talk about the peril. Verses 29 to 31, we have that prophecy. Jesus uh, speaks of the future when he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, Now, he continues to instruct the disciples because he wants them to avoid confusion and fear. During times of agony, people tend to be confused. People tend to be a little more vulnerable to false teaching. Jesus doesn't want them to be caught up in false teaching. He says, do not be misled. Do not fear about all of these things. So he describes his return, which will happen immediately after the seven-year tribulation, the second half of which we studied last week. You remember that. He describes the great tribulation, the great persecution that will take place in those days. And remember that that tribulation will be triggered as soon as the Antichrist of the end times signs a covenant with Israel. But as we do this, let me make a disclaimer. Listener discretion advised. We are going to read about troubling scenes, maybe things you haven't heard before. It'll sound that this is science fiction, but it's not. It's a biblical truth. And there's no other way to interpret all of these things other than literal because the Bible does not warrant any other type of interpretation when it tells us exactly what things are going to happen. So let's talk about the rearranging of outer space. Verse 29, Jesus says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, there are some things that are going to happen, that God is going to move stars around. He's going to move planets around. We know that during the Great Tribulation, the sun, S-U-N, will operate at two-thirds capacity. And we learned that from John's vision in the book of Revelation. Listen to this, Revelation 8, verse 12. The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck, so that a third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. So according to this, during that time, the last three and a half years of that time, daylight would only be for a third, because a third of the energy of the sun will have been gone. Now... On the day of the Lord, however, moments before the return of Christ, the world will experience a complete blackout. That's what Jesus says. The sun will be darkened. It'll be a momentary blackout. It won't last forever, but it will happen exactly as some Old Testament passages prophesy. Let me give you some examples. Isaiah 13, verses 9 through 10. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel, with fury and burning anger to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. So the book of Isaiah already prophesied about this day. So what Jesus is saying here is what they already knew, what the disciples already had presumably read from the book of Isaiah. But here's more detail from the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 31. The sun will be turned into darkness, And the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So God will blow out the candle of the sun. That's what Jesus is saying here. He will just, and the sun will be darkened, at least temporarily. Either he will do that, or he will block the light of the sun somehow. So don't ask me how all of the implications of that. God spoke all of these things into existence In according to Genesis 1. They can do it all again uh, and unspeak them or speak them into unexistence during that day and and redo the whole thing. Now, here's something else he'll do here. The sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. God will shake the fabric of the universe like you do with bed sheets when you make your bed. It will send stars wandering off through space gobbling up planets like a lizard devours insects or or like Pac-Man devours little dashes. The Milky Way will spill, supernovas will happen, black holes will vacuum clean entire constellations. That is why he says here, the stars will fall from the sky. Now, none of that has happened yet, so we know that this is in the future. But let me tell you why God can do that. We already verified that he is the creator of all of these things. He spoke. The world into existence. He can just order things. He doesn't even have to utter the word. He merely has to will it and things will happen like that. And he is able to do that because the Bible says he has stretched out the heavens. Zechariah 12 verse 1, Job 9 verse 8, and Isaiah 42 verse 5. But more than that, according to Isaiah 40 verse 22, check this out, he stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. So God has complete control of the universe. He folds, bends, rips, crumbles, and shakes the space-time continuum at His will to fit His purposes. And Christ has given us a little glimpse of that day, of that violent shaking that God's going to do with that tablecloth that we call the fabric of the universe, the space-time continuum. Now, again, this is going to be a universe quake. We've, We've experienced earthquakes here before where the tectonic plates rub against each other and we have earthquakes, this is going to be a universe quake because the solar system is going to be rearranged. That's what Jesus is saying here. But that's going to happen out there in outer space. Look at what's going to happen here. Verse 30, Jesus says, "...then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then the tribes of the earth will mourn." He's talking about the regret of obstinate sinners because sinners will mourn the return of Christ. People who are followers of Christ during that day will actually rejoice. There will be many people who will be followers of Christ. They will survive somehow all of these events, the persecution, the oppression of the Great Tribulation. Many of them will be martyred, but uh, also many will survive, and they are going to rejoice. In fact, the Bible says they're going to be separated. God's going to separate the sheep from the goats. But many of the obstinate sinners, in fact, all sinners, will mourn. And he talks about the sign of the Son of Man. And why is he saying this? Again, let's go back to verse 3, when the disciples, says, they asked Jesus, tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming? So Jesus is answering the question. All of this is going to happen in outer space. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Now, we don't know what that sign is. We can speculate, for example, in verse 27 when we read about just as lightning comes from the east and it flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, we know that this is a visual sign. It, it, it'll be like flashing, but Jesus is using that as a metaphor for the fact that everyone will see the Son of Man coming. So we don't know what that sign is, but let me ask you this. Could that sign be the Shekinah glory of God? That caused Moses' face to glow. Remember that from Exodus chapter 34 verses 29 to 30 and 2 Corinthians also talks about this. Chapter 3 verse 12 that the face of Moses started to glow after he was exposed even from his back to the glory of God. Could this be, for example, the pillar of fire? that uh, guided the Israelites through the wilderness, again, in the book of Exodus. And the only reason I propose that is because the author of the book of Hebrews tells us that our God is a consuming fire, Hebrews 12, verse 29. Maybe the risen Lord himself will appear, and he himself will be the sign. Because we know that he has done that before, for example, to Paul on the road to Damascus, caused temporary blindness to the apostle, then persecutor of the church, then became an apostle later, Acts 9, verses 3 through 4. We know again from Scripture that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 We also know, according to the author of Hebrews, that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of the Father and the exact representation of His nature, Hebrews 1, verse 3. And He Himself says that He is the light of the world. So we don't know what the sign is, but we can just sort of read Scripture and have that great curiosity and wait. For that day. By the way, I am convinced we, the church, church saints, we will not see the sign of the son of man from the earth. We will be coming with him at the end of the tribulation because we will be, we will have been raptured out of here before that. But who will be mourning that day? Now, particularly the Jews who have not acknowledged Christ will mourn on that day because they will realize that divine forbearance has finally run out. They will realize, okay, God's patience is is done. This is it. That is why they will mourn. Listen to Zechariah 12, verses 11 through 14. In that day, there will be great mourning in Jerusalem. So in fact, we are told the exact location of a mourning, collective mourning there, like mourning of Hadadriman in the plain of Megiddo, the land will mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and the wives by themselves, the family of the Shemiites by itself, and their wives by themselves, all the families that remain, every family by itself, and their wives by themselves. That's God's way of saying Israel, particularly the descendants of David, the descendants of Nathan, and all of these, at Levi, they will mourn that day, but also the entire world will mourn, and, and th- that's the world of people who will not recognize Christ. And here's why they will mourn, because Jesus will come back swinging a sword. See, the first time he came to the earth, he came as a baby in a manger, but they forget that Jesus Christ was coming back, and he's going to swing a sword now, what do you do with a sword? You slash? You stab? And that's what's going to happen. Again, according to Revelation 19, verses 11 through 18, listen to this. A gruesome scene. And I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges, and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Who's that, church? Jesus Christ. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Who's that, church? That's us. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords." Then I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried out with a loud voice saying to the birds which fly in mid heaven, come assemble for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves and small and great. Carnage that will happen on that day. That is why people will mourn because Jesus will speak As he comes back, and people will fall dead because they have failed to acknowledge him as their Lord and Savior. Now, Daniel had a similar vision, minus all the bloodshed. Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14. And again, why do we go there? Because Jesus tells us to read the book of Daniel. He says, verse 15, when you see the desolation, which was spoken through Daniel, the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. So we know that he's not just speaking to The listeners, the disciples, but future readers, you and me, and future readers, even from our perspective. Let the readers understand. So here's that scene from the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a Son of Man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and that that's God the Father, by the way, and to him was given dominion, glory, and the kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men, and every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Now, you may think these scenes, along with many others about the end times, are too bizarre to be true, but let me encourage you that... Every prophecy, let me remind all of us here, every prophecy concerning the first coming of Christ happened literally, exactly as they were prophesied. Obviously, every prophecy concerning the second coming of Christ will happen literally, exactly as they are prophesied. Now, as far as Jesus vomiting up a sword, I don't think that that's the case. We understand figures of speech. We understand what a sword represents, especially in biblical imagery. A sword represents his word that cuts to the heart of man and exposes sin. So when the Bible says that Jesus is coming back with a sword coming out of his mouth, we know what that sword is. But the bloodshed is real. How else would you interpret that when he says he even invokes birds? Oh, come and the vultures come and eat the flesh of people who will die during that time. So we speak about these things with compassion in our hearts, because we know that these are people who are going to die and perish forever because they have failed to come to faith in Jesus Christ. I hope that because we know all of these things, God will fill our hearts with compassion so we can go tell them about Jesus Christ. But listen to what will happen next. Verse 31, the regathering of oppressed saints. So... Before the great slaughter of the enemies of God on that day, angels will gather the tribulation saints, we're told, here in verse 31. And these are going to be Jewish and Gentile believers who will be alive at the time. Remember, there will be 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each tribe preaching the gospel, many Gentiles will come to faith in Christ. In fact, some of those Gentiles will care for the Jews of that time. And that is why Jesus, at the end of the Olivet, the score says, I was in prison and you visited me. I was hungry and you fed me. And they'll say, when did we do that? And it says, as when you did it to the least of these. The desolation that Daniel spoke about, where a man will stand in the holy place, that is the Antichrist who will stand in the temple of Jerusalem there and desecrate the place. Now, when that happens, he will cause people to scatter throughout the world. Some will live as refugees in the mountains. They will face the wrath of the Antichrist and the people who hate God, but they will not face the sword of Jesus. In fact, quite the opposite. They will inherit the millennial kingdom. They will not mourn. They will celebrate that day. And we can again turn to the book of Daniel for that. Listen to Daniel 7, verse 18. The saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and will possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. So that's what's going to happen on that day. These people who will be alive will be separated for God and they will inherit the kingdom. Now, we are the saints who will be coming from heaven. We will also join them and inherit the kingdom forever. So we looked at the three elements of this prophecy concerning the very last day of history as we know it. Let's talk about the parable, and we'll finish with that. The parable, verses 32 to 35. Now, Jesus interrupts the chronology of the end times here in verse 32, and he says, now learn the parable of the fig tree. Now, he's using his favorite teaching method, we know, parable, and he's using one of his favorite images, a fig tree. And the analogy is so easy to understand, I hope we don't complicate things here, that's Very simple. Visible change in the fig tree signals a new season. We all know that. Now, people living in those future days will be able to associate this. If they're not familiar with agriculture, there will be teachers, pastors of that time, who will teach them uh, about what, what this all means. But these words will be particularly comforting for people who will flee to the mountains of Judea because they will be living as refugees at least for three and a half years and will witness the increasing of birth pains. Remember that that other analogy that Jesus uses here, verse 8? They'll experience all of that. So they will be particularly comforted by hearing all of this. Now, three lessons emerge from this parable here that we need to pay attention to. The first one is be affirmed. Verse 34, be affirmed. And again, this is not just for them in the future. This is for us now. Be affirmed. Because Jesus talks about here in verse 34, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away. Now, what is he talking about here? Who is that generation? Because there's a man, an English philosopher by the name of Bertrand Russell, who denied Christianity because of this. It says, well, Jesus was confused. About he didn't even know about the end times because that generation passed away. Let me explain to you why that's not the case understandably, the disciples would fear that all of these calamities, the intense birth pains, would wipe out the Jewish people. Okay, So who's going to survive all of this? If they're going to be persecuted like that, who's going to survive? But Jesus assures them that that future generation of Jews will survive. And the reason we know he's talking about that future generation is because he uses the word genea for either race or generation or family. So what Jesus is saying here, this generation, this race, the Jewish people of that time, that family, will not pass away until these things happen. So he's not talking about the disciples there because they all passed away, obviously. So he's talking about that future time. That is the generation. Also because these events are going to happen in a period of seven years, more intensely in three and a half years, well within the time frame of a generation. Now, the second lesson in verse 35 is not only be affirmed, but be assured. Because now Jesus fast forwards the whole storyline a thousand years after his return. How do we know that? Because he says heaven and earth will pass away. But well, when will that happen? After the millennium. We know that from the book of Revelation. Listen, Revelation 20 verses 11 through 12. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small standing before the throne and books were open. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. So that's what's going to happen. And by contrast, Jesus says, My words will not pass away. Now, again, this promise would have brought tremendous comfort for the disciples as it does to us as well because they were about to launch a movement that has eternal implications. And they were called upon to preach a word that will not pass away, a document that will never pass away. You see, church, Every constitution of every nation in the world one day will pass away, but the Word of God will never pass away. And that is a great comfort for us. God's Word endures forever, 1 Peter 1, verse 25, because according to Hebrews 4, verse 12, God's Word is living and active. See, every other document is a piece of paper, but the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword you see how foolish it is for people to try to get rid of the Bible? It'll never happen. It will never happen. People might try to ban it from schools or whatever. They might try to put it in the fiction category in bookstores like I've seen before. But you can mock the Bible. It can try to diminish its, its power. It will never happen. You will pass away. The Bible will not. The Word of God will live forever because Jesus says it. And he's the one who conquered death. He has the authority to say it. He has called you and me to preach this book and to live by this book. So that gives us a tremendous amount of certainty, and we are assured by it. In fact, in the millennium, you will teach the Bible. Did you know that? You have an opportunity to te- you, you as a resurrected being, as a glorified human being, you will have people to teach because there will be people in the millennium who will live and they will, they will be born during that time. They'll need to be taught the word of God. And by the way, remember that we saw here that you, you will judge the world. This is going to be your document to judge the world by and to judge angels by and fallen fallen angels, demons, because the word of God will never pass away. So we have the resurrection, the the certainty of the resurrection, because the one who promised that his words will never pass away conquered death. And that's only possible because he is the Son of God. God the Son who came to the world to conquer death and to provide a payment for sin so that you and I can have this blessed hope, the hope of the resurrection. So again, as we close, we're talking about bizarre images here, scenes that are hard to comprehend or, or scenes that look like it's, it's from a movie, whatever. This is biblical truth meant to give us hope. So whatever it is that you're facing now, Think about a couple of things. You will not be facing this. If you're a believer now, a follower of Christ, now a born-again follower of Christ, you will be raptured before all of these things happen. Again, that is what I'm convinced the Bible teaches about that. The point is, our hope is that we will be with Christ. But our hearts break for our family members who are outside of Christ, who are at great risk of facing Christ as their judge if they don't treat him as their savior. So they have two options. Either they'll come to Christ as their Savior or they will have to face Christ as as their judge. And I hope that uh, your heart is broken enough to tell them this and say, listen, I am concerned about where you're going to spend eternity. I love you that much to tell you the truth about what the Bible says. Uh, Whatever you believe in, you may think that this is science fiction. You may think that I'm crazy. But let me just get the truth out there and I'll let the truth do its job. Father, thank you for the preciousness of your word. Thank you that we can have hope based on the words that Jesus said here and that will never pass away. Lord, we we live in the world now that is plagued by sin. We know that. We experience it, Lord. But we look forward to the day that sin will be no more. Lord. But we know that between now and then we have work to do. We have people to reach. We have a church to shepherd here. We have a flock to take care of. We have one another to minister to. We thank you, Lord, and we pray that... um, Today even, you will give us a renewed sense of hope, Lord, so that we can
0: celebrate even
1: more our oneness in Christ, Lord, in our renewed hope. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. Or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people just like you, to help us spread the gospel around the world. This broadcast has provided you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth With Grace.